Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Dogs are dogs, but people, they put too many human emotions on dogs. They're fur moms and dads. I think a dog is the happiest when it knows it's a dog because you let it be a dog. Why does it usually form or function when it comes to shotguns? You either hear about the looks or craftsmanship of this shotgun, while that shotgun over there in the corner hasn't been cleaned in two seasons, but supposedly fits and shoots like a dream. Why can't it be both? This is what Upland Gun Company does. They take your own personal measurements and will construct the very shotgun that should handle like a dream while getting you the looks and custom features that only you can decide on. Whether it's a side-by-side -side or over-under, English stock or full pistol grip, custom engravings such as your dog's portrait, even down to selecting the wooden grain on your stock head on over to uplandguncompany.com and build the dream gun that you would carry in the field with your dog for many seasons hey guys instead of doing the normal outro that i do on every episode this week uh justified or called for uh, an intro into this this is an episode that uh first off is presented by standing stone supply dt systems onyx hunt final rise and upland gun company but this episode, it was it's truly a privilege to bring out to you guys because uh, in his own right, he, he's a legend in the dog training world, Mo Lindley. And uh, unless I'm mistaken, I don't think that he has been on any other podcast uh, to, to talk to you guys directly because for those of you who aren't aware, Mo Lindley is actually completely deaf. So he's been requested quite often throughout the years, but for obvious reasons, it, it just hasn't really come together. But we had a helper and Lauren Gwynn come down and she agreed to, uh, I don't know what the word is, interpret, translate, whatever you want to call it, uh, via sign language, my questions to Mo. So go into this with a little bit of understanding that this may, this episode may not have the typical flow that our other episodes have just because of the gap in between questions and Mo. And it becomes very obvious that, you know, I have a lot of wordy questions. And uh, Lauren, thanks for your patience as we kind of worked our way through it. But I'm really happy with how this turned out. And I'm excited to bring it to you guys because, again, this is a guy that... Uh, his his voice and thoughts on on some matters should be highlighted and recorded for everybody to hear. And uh, anybody that's not really familiar with Mo Lindley, he is the guy that the book Training with Mo, written by Martha Greenley, is based on. And it's it's uh, based it kind of is derived from or derived from 
the Wes Gibbons method. And if you want any more context on the method overall, or even some more backstory or even more steps, you know, I highly encourage you to go check out episode 189 I did with Martha Greenley a few few months ago, because there's a lot of valuable information in that. But I just wanted to come on here in the intro, kind of give you guys a heads up that it's a different style of episode. There's a lot more cuts into this. There was nothing edited out. Everything, you know, all the conversation pieces are actually there, but we recorded it outside with a sign language person interpreting, again, my probably overly worded question. So it's just a different style. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, if you do enjoy it, then by all means, please consider coming on our YouTube channel, hitting subscribe. We have a lot of exciting things coming together that I have shot, possibly even something with Mo. I did get some video while I was down there with them. Uh, Whether it turns into anything or not, we'll see. I haven't had a chance to kind of go through it, but I have a lot of things in the bank that I'm working on. It just takes time to put together. So if you enjoy what I've done on the this podcast, maybe some of our other other previous videos, then by all means hit subscribe on YouTube. Consider joining Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundogget yourself because I could not do those videos or interviews with people such as Mo without your support on Patreon. And with that being said, I'm going to shut up. I'm going to let you guys get to the episode and I hope you enjoy. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of GDIY presented by Standing Stone Supply. This week, I am joined with the legendary Mo Lindley himself, along with Lauren Gwynn. Lauren is going to help uh, more or less translate for, for me and uh, Mo with Mo's difficulty of hearing. But uh, Lauren, welcome to the show. And uh, we're out here at Mo's place. We've been running some dogs and learning a lot about about Mo. And I uh, thought it'd be fun to hit record and learn even more about him. So... Uh, first, let's start off with how Mo even came into the dog world. Let's let's rewind the clock and and uh, learn more about what brought Mo to the world of dogs. One of my neighbors had uh, English satyrs, and me and my brother were invited on a quail hunt with him. Back then, we had a lot of wild quail in the upstate of South Carolina. So we went, and from that first point back in flush, which I think we all missed, I was absolutely hooked. I thought this is what I want to do. I, I want to do bird dogs. I was probably, I'm going to guess about 10, maybe 11 years old. So it kind of, it kind of started just going wild bird hunting a time or two. Yeah. What What was it like getting into the gun dog world back then uh, in terms of figuring out how to train and work dogs? Obviously, we didn't have social media or a lot of the resources we have today. So how did Mo kind of break his teeth into uh, learning how to work dogs? Well, you had to get, if you wanted to go see a trainer and, try to figure out what he was doing you had to uh get in your truck and go drive way back then my go go-to guy and a great trainer was paul long up at uh maiden north carolina and i mean i was just a kid i was working i i I had a job i had my own vehicle so i was still living at home but 
every chance I got when I was off, off work. I'd drive a hundred miles up there and spend the day with him, following him around, watching him, watching him interact with dogs, watch him interact with clients and friends. It was just it was just a real good experience for me. So what was it like? What were some of the ways that we trained back then that kind of led or steered you to the method that you guys uh, use today, primarily the Wes Gibbons and training with Mo? Uh, let, let me say this first. Paul, Paul was a gifted teacher, dogs and people, but training was different back then. Um, it, it was a lot tougher on dogs and a lot tougher on the trainer. Uh, and Paul was one of the low-key kind of guys. But when the, something came up that dictated more force being used, it it got used, you know? I mean, I'm I'm just being honest. There's no need sugarcoating it. Anybody that's come up through the dog training ranks is going to understand that things back then were a lot different than they are now. Now we have the modern tools that we have, or there's really no need to abuse a dog in any way, shape, or form. That's just my opinion. And, to be honest with you, I think the breeding has changed for the better on dogs in general. Uh, Back then, dogs, they were tougher because they had to be tougher, okay? Uh, The ones that wasn't tough did not get bred, okay? So... The breeding has changed a lot. We have, in my opinion, we have a lot better dogs to work with. The well-bred dogs that we have today have changed up a lot of things. The tools that we have today, remote launchers, the modern electric collar, even though I'm still old school with a check cord and pinch collar, I mean, I use the electric collar, but just the tools are, with the modern tools we have, there's no need to abuse the dog. And so what was it like initially when when you first came across the method or Bill West and seeing how he was training dogs in relation to how old school or how hard they used to be on dogs i was looking for something different i was uh, i don't know i was i was kind of burnt out dog training would especially for public dog trainer you get some some real head cases brought in for you have to try to work through a lot of problems that other people have created and I found that my traditional way wasn't working as good. And 
uh, I felt like there's got to be something out there that's going to work. So that's when I started searching for a different method. And Bill West being out west Arizona, Dave Walker being in Idaho, Bill Gibbons being in Arizona, it was just uh, their way was pretty foreign to anything I'd ever seen. So it was really a non, non-verbal way of training. You showed a dog with check cord and pinch collar and you put cues into the dog and you seen to the day what how much dogs pay attention to our body language. They're a lot smarter than we are when it comes to reading body language. So when I decided this is what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna change methods. I I bought in hook, line and sinker now that there was some ups and downs because some of it I wasn't doing right at first. But at the time, I hadn't lost all my hearing, so Bill West was a phone call away. And it just, having him to help out with dogs that I would actually had in training at the time, and I'd tell him what they were doing, and he'd tell me, say, well, Mo, you need to do this. And I might call back a week later. He said, well, he said, you, you keep doing what you're doing. You've got to keep showing the dog what you want. Said, it'll get it. Just take your time. Don't overwork the dog. Go out, work one, maybe two birds. No matter what happens, pet the dog, put it up for the day, start fresh the next day. So that that was foreign to me because the old way was, no, you son of a gun, you're going to do this. (laughs) (laughs) And I was tired of that. That I had no interest in in doing that anymore. I I genuinely like dogs. I don't want to mistreat dogs. Yeah. So – when you when you started the new method, you you said it today. Mar- uh, Martha said it on our episode. When I got to spend time with her, you have to surrender to it. So was it just full bore? You just bought in hook, line, and sinker, or was it just kind of a slower rollout? Oh, when I when I bought in, when I decided this, I'm gonna change. That was it. I was I was done with my old way. I had no interest in going back, and I saw the results that I wanted. I saw way better attitude in dogs. I saw dogs that were more stylish, they were happier, and they were well-trained, you know, I don't know if it's faster or slower. I I, I just I, I just go and work dogs. 
Um, but I learned that most most of the time with my old way it was actually overworking dogs. You might go out there and the first piece of work would be perfect. Well, you'd already set out maybe four or five more birds, so you just kept working until your blood pressure was sky high <laughs> and the dog wasn't real happy about nothing. So it's just a process. You know, sometimes less is more. You go out there and get done. I, 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 I'm not going to say I'm a perfectionist, but I look, what I look for is. Each workout, I'm studying that dog, and when it gives me maybe a little bit more than it gave me yesterday that I consider progress, then that's a good place to stop for the day, you know? Right. So you you mentioned that your your tool of choice is the check cord, and I want to get to that here in a minute, but I want to start with the touch. You were talking earlier about the touch on the dog means more than what most people account for. So talk to me when it comes to putting a good, calm touch on a dog. Your hands are important. The way you touch a dog, when you touch a dog, is is real important. Uh, if you watch me, I normally, I, I, I'll, I'll stroke down their back of their head and their back, and I just use my fingertips. I don't, I don't give them a bunch of good boys and, and <laughs> yeah. pat them hard because you'll you make the dog act crazy. What you're doing with that touch is you're rewarding a dog, and that touch feels good, so more than likely, they're more apt to give you that behavior again later. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's basically the reward I give the dog. Now, when I get ready after I've touched them like that, I if I'm only in that session, I may jazz the dog up a little bit i'll pet a little bit a little bit firmer and might even speak to the dog on the shoulder but when i'm touching down the back it's it's my only my fingertips but they seem to understand it you know i tell people this i say i don't know if you'll understand it but i said your dog will understand it so you learn a lot through trial and error. Once you know the nuts and bolts of the of the method, then when you think you know it all, that's when things will start really popping for you. You don't know it all. I I'm still stuff still pops for me now. I'll be doing something. I'm like, dang, that worked good, and I remember what I just did. I'm gonna do that again. So. I don't think any trainer should should ever stop learning. I think if you watch the dogs and you read the dogs, then you keep evolving as a trainer. 
Right. So, you know, in, in a f- way, you ca- talk about the way we communicate to dogs. It's all about how we talk dogs and not making dogs talk us. Would you say that the average person messes up more so in their body language and how they carry themselves or the touch aspect, which you just spoke about? Well, they're talking to the dog mainly. Yeah, telling him what a good good boy he is, or what a bad son of a gun. <laughs> yeah, they 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 don't know that your your attitude towards the dog is. I try I try to be neutral, neutral in a lot of ways. I'm not gonna let a dog frustrate me. And I found that if you go out and maybe the session is not good or you didn't, things didn't work out like you had planned, that's okay. We, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna start fresh the next day. But you need to still be good to that dog. I'll, I'll be neutral. I'm not going to give them a whole lot of loving, but we're going we're gonna to walk back to the kennel calm and cool. I put him up. Uh, we done for the day. We'll st- we'll start again the next day. So, I think having being able to keep your emotions out of it. I, I want to tell you, I will speak plain, but I get tackled at people that think dogs do stuff on purpose to piss us off. (laughs) Right. They don't. So why get mad at him? He was just being a dog. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Dogs are dogs, but people try to make dogs. They put too many human emotions on dogs. The fur, the fur moms and dads. Uh, I think a dog is the happiest when it knows it's a dog because you let it be a dog. So we talk about training without emotion, staying neutral and balanced. Is that also translates in helping convey when to build a dog up or when to take it down using the birds, which this whole method is built upon, right? We we go we talk about the pouring the gasoline on the fire or controlling the thermostat. Is is that just as important as just how we're communicating to the dog in terms of knowing when to ramp a dog up and when to calm it down? That's a good way to look at it. When you first get the dog out and start working it that's that's when you start reading it okay if if you get the, got the dog on the check cord and he's banging around and acting crazy well there's no need to, you're not going to get any training constructive training done until you get that dog in the right frame of mind and that means you have to get him in a calmer state of mind. That's why the walk that we do on check cord with the pinch collar to me is a critical part of this method. That gives you the ability to get a dog to pay attention 
and try to read your body language. It's not so much about giving commands, but if a dog's straight line pulling and you let that dog pull you to a bird, <laughs> you have just created a bad problem. You know, you walk the dogs around until you see they're getting in a, in a state of mind, a calmer state, to where you can actually work them on a bird. Now, that might mean that today I don't take this dog to a bird. If I don't get him in the right frame of mind, why take him to a bird? He's not done what I wanted, so we're going to keep working on that to where me and the dog are kind of hooked on to each other and are working as a team. Uh, so what Martha talks about is is looking at the thermostat, and that, that's, a, that's a good analogy to me. Is You want a dog that you're working to be in a calm state of mind, but not a fearful state of mind. There's a difference. You don't want too much submission. So there's a there's a balance. And if you get one that's, yeah, I mean, I get dogs in that I don't know what's been done with them, but they just they just when you first start, they just don't act happy. So. I need to build some kind of excitement with that dog. So with a dog like that, if they like birds, I'm going to use birds to build the, the excitement to where the dog likes to be around me because it knows we're going to go find a bird. Then when they're like that, then you start teaching them some some little things, Stuff that'll get them a little bit calm and then, okay, good state of mind. I've got to stand still a little bit. Let's go find us a bird and I'll go and get on a bird. Don't matter if he points it or I just flush it, but I'm going to make his attitude. I'm going to put him up happy. Boom, at that stage of the game, they're still, I probably still let them chase birds. So they're going to get a good chase. When they come back, I'll calmly get a hold of them, pat them, put them up. Uh, so you have, to, you have to learn the different ways to calm the dog. And you also, with a lot of dogs, you have to, you have to make training fun to that dog. You know, Maybe the dogs had a bad experience before I got it or whatever. So I have to, I have to build that up. You, you might be below, below, starting below zero. So you got to get the dog back to, to zero or one before you can go forward. So a lot of it's just watching and reading the dog. Yeah. What would you do with a dog that doesn't have that love for birds or doesn't have the desire to chase? Is that a lost cause, or is there other ways around that to develop that love for the bird? A lot of that can be man-made, and a lot of it can be just 
dogs too far removed from the hunting dog type breeding. Okay, so this is the way I look at it. I, when I, when I get a dog, I'm, I'm gonna give that dog thirty days work. I'm evaluating that dog every day. All right. If the dog doesn't really react to birds and something, I mean, I've had them, you drop a pigeon or whatever, and I mean, the dog would just, well, what the heck, just turn around. He wasn't scared. He was just neutral. Turn around and walk off or do something. Well, a dog like that, I may in a few days try a dead bird or a clip-winged bird or try to do something to bring out a predator in that dog. And after 30 days, if, if, if I'm not seeing some kind of improvement, then I'm probably going to stop on that dog because... This, this is going to sound bad, but all of them don't make it. I mm-hmm. mean, they just, and it, it depends on the clients you're working for. Now, some people have higher expectations. Okay, so you need to keep them in the loop on what's going on. Some people don't have high expectations, so if I get a certain amount of training done on the dog and they're happy then then I'm happy to work with the dog but they have to be realistic just because you send a dog to a dog trainer don't mean it's gonna come back a polished diamond (laughs) it just don't work that way you gotta work you gotta work what they bring you yeah makes sense so let's jump into the check cords because that's obviously uh, a f- the foundation to the method here. It's your tool of choice. Martha referenced it in our last episode. If you had to choose between the check cord and the e-collar, you would choose check cord. Talk to me about the importance of the check cord and, and its primary use in, in your uh, way of thinking. Okay, well, where I look at the check cord is not just a way to, uh, you know, correct a dog. It's, it's a guide that gives you the ability to take a dog into a training situation where it can learn the maximum from it. What I'm talking about is you, you get to where you know you know how the winds come and you know how to take a dog into a situation to where it can, it, it can learn the most from that situation, from that bird. If you, to me, if you don't have a check cord to do that with at the beginning stages of training and you just turning the dog loose maybe you put two or three birds out and oh lord some some people will put a pigeon totally asleep and turn a young dog loose or off the check cord and first thing you know he's just on top of the bird and he's reached down and he's grabbed it or whatever 
Well, you, you just taught him to do that. You don't realize it, but you taught you've taught that dog, okay? They hiding Easter eggs out here. I'm gonna I'm gonna go <laughs> I'm gonna go grab miles. So check or just enables you to be in control but it's in control by guiding them into a good learning experience instead of just kind of flying by the sea your pants. You you actually have some some control. So when I when I got into this world, uh, check cord was described to me. The only thing good for a twenty foot check cord is to cut it up into four pieces, and you have five foot leashes. Uh, talk to me about the how to actually handle a check cord, and where most people generally mess up. Because I think this is the main point: is most people don't handle a check cord well. What's the primary things that people should focus on when using a check cord? Well, you, you need to have uh, the right material. Um, I like a check cord that's yeah, fairly stiff. Feels good in my hands. It's going to be 12, 12 feet, maybe 15 feet, but it won't be longer than 15 feet. You can't really control a dog on that much lead. And the dog will learn, will learn bad habits. So we start out just teaching them to walk. And to me, that means uh, the first few days, they may pull on you a good bit. But I'll walk out a little ways as they start pulling. And I'll just do it in about face. And I'll pinch them a little bit with that pinch collar. Not not hard. I'm not going to jerk on them, but it's enough they feel. And the old dog will look. Well, when he looks, you need to be already going in a different direction. So that's the first part of them learning body language from you. If When you turn, they need to turn. When you back up, if you just if you just back up, then they need to come to you. Or if you just stand still, they need to come to you. But I teach them to come to me. I'm little jerks, and I'm, I back up. Pretty soon they'll run into you. I want them saddled. I don't want them running into me and jumping around. So I ain't gonna give them no good boys. I'm gonna I'm gonna put my hands on them, and then we're gonna walk on some more. So. Just getting them where they have manners when you walk in them. They're not, they're not pulling on you, but they're not stuck to your side at heel. You want them to get out a little ways, but you don't want to uh, be skiing. Eh, you don't want to be hard on them. I actually asked Bill West that one time. I watched him. Working some dogs, just basic stuff, and man, it didn't look like he was doing much. I said, "Bill, how you get them act like that?" He said, "Well, said just walk them around." He said, "When they start pulling, said give them a little jerk on the rope and put some slack in it, and keep on walking or turn." And he said, "Pull on, they just working there right, right around." 
it's, it's simple, but most people don't have the patience. They want it to happen the first one, two, three times. You give them a little jerk. They think, okay, buddy, you know what to do now. I'm on. <laughs> I'm watching you. They don't. You just have to keep walking them. Yeah. So is the pinch collar, is that a necessity with the check cord? Is the check cord useless without the pinch collar, or are they kind of a combined package for you? Well, pinch collar protects the trainer from abuse. If you figure you're working 12, 15, 20 different dogs, a day, I promise you, that pinch collar becomes your friend because these dogs are really buying on you. They, especially these older dogs, it's uh, set their own rules until they're two years old and then they show up at the dog trainer. That, that dog's going to work you, I promise you. Uh, they was they'll bang on you. They uh, I stay cut up and sore just just from the everyday work. That's just there's a part of it. Yeah. What well, what are the primary mistakes you see handlers with check cords doing? Is it that they're too too rough on their corrections, or pulling too much, or not letting the dog extend? Is there common elements and common mistakes? Giving a dog too much to work with. You, I see people, they got a check cord 40, 50 foot long. And to me, that that's not going to work with this math unless you're just holding on to about 10 feet of it and letting the 30 feet drag behind you. So that and maybe being some people can get pretty severe with a check cord a lot of hard jerking and a lot of emotion their temper comes out i mean if a dog runs back to you and jumps on you i kind of push them away and ignore them and keep walking. It don't make me mad. I mean, they're being a dog, okay? But but they're going to quit that before long because I'm not going to reward them for doing it. See, a lot of dogs get taught the wrong thing from the time they're little puppies. They're taught to run to you and jump up on you and stuff like that. Then when you get them on a lead, they're all between your feet or they're running back you know, jumping on you, banging on you and stuff like that. So it's, to me, the check cord's the best tool we have. But the attitude and how to use it is you just, uh, the only way to learn how to use it is to go out there and do it. It's, and, and watch. If your results are bad, you need to, after a while, check in with somebody that can give you some help, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and with the Internet today and the different dog sites, usually there's a lot of Internet experts, but 
You're going to always find a handful of good trainers on these different different forms, amateur and professional. You learn who to pay attention to. Some of it gets way out there. I'm, I look at it and I'm like, oh boy, I just keep, keep scrolling. <laughs> I'm gone. Just keep on moving. Well, it, use use me as an example out there today on the check cord. Someone who's still kind of new with this and just getting used to the check cord. Someone I haven't been using it for very long in the world. Uh, was there anything that you saw in me and how I was handling my dog with the check cord that you could critique me on or or improvements or anything like that? He did okay. She's a little bit more submissive. Then I would like to see a 10-month-old, but I don't know the background. I don't know how much free-running time, how much free-time contact with birds. I don't know. Looking at his dog and him handling the dog, what a little bit I did today that dog to me will be a real easy dog to train. It's it, it, as it gets older, it's gonna toughen up some too. Work more in the field with check cord skills. Uh, the collar I let you have, you gonna like it too. Okay. <laughs> uh, the best place. To work the bird dog for for hunting skills and bird skills is going to be in the field, okay? Where a dog is at least thinks, thinks it has a chance to find a bird. The attitude will stay better now in the yard. You can do some yard work, some basic come here and recall. I don't really like to do a lot of healing work until a dog is is really hunting hard. I kind of look at the dog. The dog kind of dictates what kind of obedience I'm going to put on the dog. If you take some of these dogs that are real hard chargers, and don't really want to pay attention to much. I'll get them paying attention, but a dog like that will benefit from being taught to heal. Doesn't have to be a precise competition heal, but the dog needs to learn to be somewhat submissive and walk at your side only. Um, I use pinch collar to do that with, if I have a, a dog that's giving me a hard time in the field, then I may, uh, instead of working right there in the field, I may take that dog out, start working it up and down the driveway, get it to pay attention and, and to heal a little bit. In a few days, I'll go back to the field. But I'll take Hill with me to the field. I'll work on it out there, too. So, just, it, it's really, it's all about reading the dog. Your your dog showed super nose, strong, and intense point, and her attitude is good with you. I mean, that's 
she's going to end up being a real nice dog. Mm. Well, we hope so. That That's what we're after. But uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, it was really interesting to see you asked if uh, – if I'd done any backing work with her yet and you wanted to show how quick the association with stop to flush essentially or stop to a bird flight was and you got her to show a back uh, on the second rep. It was it was that quick. Is, is that typical for you? Do you see a lot of dogs reacting that fast when you have the proper setup? Yeah, I mean, that's... I'm, I'm looking for... You you gonna get one of three reactions. You gonna when when you first start showing a dog backing situation. Some of these dogs that are that are it's just bred into them. When they when they see that situation, they just nail it just like they're pointing. Okay, or you'll you'll see a dog what i watch for is as soon as i see the dog look at the backing situation that i'm gonna show it a bird what i want to do is associate make let that dog associate okay when i see that there's a bird there okay so you ought to see back and start okay they made the association okay there's a bird up there boom and because you've been flying that bird fast, it stopped because it wants to see that bird fly, but it's you kind of startle it and okay, I'll, when's that bird going to fly? So it's standing there back and don't let it stand there long, fly the bird. Or you're going to get dogs when they see the backing situation. They... They go in full drive. They won't. They won't try to pull you up there. So I don't let them do that. As soon as the dog sees that situation, put the pigeon up. Let them see it. And before long, sometimes one, two, three workouts. And I don't do that a lot. I do it just enough to where they're doing it. But. You know, maybe maybe one day a week, I may work on back in a time or two with the dog. I'm working on other stuff the other days, but dogs just just by learning to associate that situation with birds, they'll start back and then they'll have a lot of style. Well, what most people do, if you watch somebody working a dog on back and <laughs> Yeah, I know I did it early on myself, but you'd be bringing a dog in. You see, the, as soon as you as soon as you see the other dog on point, you, you had no clue if your dog saw it or not. But the first thing out of your mouth is going to be "Whoa!" <laughs> right? Or if you had it on a check cord. The cover might be too tall. The dog can't even see it, but you're standing taller. You see it. So you come over there. When you see it, you back it. So you make the dog back it. See what I mean? You're stopping that dog. He ain't got a clue why he's stopping. He can't even see it. So yep. I just I try to be on dog side 
Right. Try to do what dog understands. Mm. Well, speaking of dogs understand, obviously, in this method, as we've talked about a couple times already, the check cord and pinch collar, What do you have any thoughts or concerns with the political side of things with both of those tools in the pinch collar and the e-collar? Are there any thoughts with them coming up to get banned across certain countries or states? I think it's crazy. I worry about what kind of world we actually live in sometimes. I mean, well, people are way off base when it comes to, to animals and dogs especially. I feel sorry for some house dogs. I, honestly, I do. Those dogs are micromanaged so much. Nothing they do is right. Lay that down. Quit that. Don't get on that. I'm like, a dog needs a place where it can be a dog. You know? Mm-hmm. That's why I think having, uh, uh, at least having a dog, a fenced-in backyard or a nice kennel where you can put that dog not to get rid of the dog, but to give that dog some time where it can be actually be a dog. There's a lot of dogs are very, very spoiled now. Mm-hmm. Very. Yep. And uh, they, I look at the electric collar if if used properly, and any tool can be abused. Okay. But I'll say this, the electric collar is probably in the right hands. It's probably saved more dogs' lives than any other tool we have. So I am very much pro-e-collar, but I I won't be around somebody abusing a dog with an electric collar. Okay? Yep. I'm not for that. But, it, I mean, they ban and trying to ban the electric collar. I've seen about some of the wire pinch collars and stuff like that. I'm, I'm going to tell you, this took, me, this took me a while to figure this out. But have you noticed how the transmitters and the electric collars keep getting smaller? You know why? Mm-mm. So you can conceal it from people that are against it. You, with the real small transmitters, no one I have, you can't put in your pocket. But you can, you can have it in your pocket. The collars are a lot smaller. So... I think the electric collars give dogs a lot more freedom than they used to have, okay? You know, they they can learn some manners. They can learn to do some some free running, and you've got recall done. You can, you can call them away from a dangerous situation and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm pro-e-collar. I, I, I don't buy into that stuff. 
Yep. Well, as as we start wrapping this up, Lauren, I know you need to get out of here. Uh, tell me what's what's a main takeaway within this method? You know, between the episode with Martha uh, and, and today, there's a there's a lot of ground to cover. But what's your main takeaway? Like, if you were to pitch somebody brand new getting into this, trying to learn the correct way and speaking the correct language to the dog. Just kind of give me your overall thoughts and dog training for a new beginner getting into it now. The most important thing is to find a method that makes sense to you and then learn the nuts and bolts of that method. And when you think you know it all, then learn it, go over it again, study it. When you start applying that method, the dog's going to let you know if you're doing it right or you're doing it wrong. So I think it's important to learn a method, start there, and then, you know, maybe maybe you change up some things yourself after you watch the dog or whatever with me. I was, years ago, I was tired of what I was doing, and so I looked for a better way. So when I realized I'd found a better way, uh, and I'm talking about just for me, it it might not suit some people, but for me, it just made sense. So I bought into it 100%. I walked away from my old way, and never look back yeah and like you said just keep trying to learn keep on growing oh yeah never start stop learning never once once you're competent with a method of training whichever method that is then your dogs become your best teachers you pay attention to your dog they they don't lie. They gon they're transparent. Yep, makes sense. Well, as as we wrap this up, Mo, I appreciate you having me out here and running dogs and entertaining me. I appreciate your your patience as we kind of figure this out, and it was a true privilege kind of getting to know you and, and getting you on for a podcast. I'm glad you came. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just have to replace it again in a year. 
Go ahead and check out BeProKennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.